0: Well, this morning, if you have a Bible with you, I'd like you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 4, as we continue this morning in our series, Preaching Through the Gospel of John. We'll be looking at verses 16 through 26, and this will be part two of Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well. And we read in John, chapter 4, verses 16 through 26, Jesus said to her, Go, And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Well, as I mentioned, this is the second part of three parts of Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well. Last week we had part one. Today we have part two. And let me give you just a preview of what's coming up. The next two Sundays in July, the 12th and the 19th, I am going to be gone on vacation. Next Sunday, the 12th, Pastor Chad will be preaching. Then on the 19th, Pastor Chad and I will both be on vacation that particular Sunday. And so we will have a guest speaker Bill Britton, the former president of Baptist Children's Home, who is now a missionary appointee to Liberia with ABWE. He and his wife Kathy will be with us on the 19th. Pastor Mike went to college with both Bill and Kathy. I know Bill from his time at the Children's Home, and so they have graciously agreed to come. So Bill will be preaching, and Mike, Pastor Mike is going to seek to get Kathy involved in the music that day. And then on the 26th, the 26th of July, I will bring the third part of uh, Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well. So last Sunday, this Sunday, and then on the 26th of uh, July, we will look at part three. So our first part this morning, as we look at this part two... Our first point is sin revealed. Last Sunday we looked at Jesus' divine appointment with a woman from Sychar in Samaria. Jesus goes right through Samaria, which was unusual for a Jewish person to do this. When they went from Judea to Galilee, they would usually go around Samaria. But Jesus deliberately, intentionally goes through Samaria because he wanted to meet up with this particular woman. He has an important, life-changing message for her. And he asks this woman, he is at Jacob's well, and he asks this woman for a drink, and she is very surprised that a Jewish man would ask a Samaritan woman for a drink, because the Jews and the Samaritans at this time despised each other. They had very little to do With each other. The Jews saw the Samaritans as ceremonially unclean, as racially impure. They would refer to them as half breeds, and they saw them as religious heretics because they took all these different religions and put them together, what today we would call syncretism. And so these. Groups; These ethnic groups had almost nothing to do with each other and yet here is this Jewish man asking this Samaritan woman for a drink and he then tells her about the living water. And if you remember last week I said there are three big picture truths that we need to keep in mind as we see his conversation with this woman. The first big picture truth is that Jesus knew Everything about this woman before he met her. We see Jesus' omniscience on grand display. He knows everything about her. The second big picture truth is there is a powerful and eternal contrast between Nicodemus. Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus in chapter 3 and Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well in chapter 4. This great contrast that the Apostle John through the Holy Spirit wants us to see. Here is Nicodemus, a man, a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews who meticulously tried to keep the law of Moses and the tradition of the Pharisees. Here is this woman. A Samaritan who had lived a very troubled past. And the Apostle John wants us to see in his writing, in his gospel. He wants us to see that both Nicodemus and the woman at the well are both lost. They both need a savior. And Jesus has come for everyone. It doesn't matter what their background is. The third Big picture truth that we looked at is that Jesus never did anything by chance or accident. This is a divine appointment. He deliberately, intentionally went to this well in this town to have a conversation with this particular woman. He arranged everything so that they could have this one on one conversation, so he could tell her about the living water. He said, The water I give you is living water. And we learned five things last week about this living water. First of all, it is the gift of God. It is a free gift. Second, it is living water because it makes spiritually dead men and women become alive. Second, Jesus said, if you drink of this water, you will never be thirsty again. Fourth, we learned that This water, this living water will become a spring of water welling up in us, leaping up in us when you drink of the living water. It will refresh you every day for the rest of your life and on into eternity. And fifth, we learned that the living water gives eternal life, everlasting life. And then at the end of the message last week, I left you with just two thoughts to think about this past week. First of all, this woman is thirsty. She is spiritually, morally, and emotionally bankrupt. She is empty. She's tired. And the second thought, in this passage, in this encounter with the woman at the well, Jesus is the proverbial hound of heaven. He is pursuing this woman. He wants her to be saved. He wants her to come into the kingdom of God. He wants her to drink of the living water. He wants her to become a worshiper of the one true God. Well, that brings us to today's passage. And Jesus, in his omniscience, goes right to the deepest part of this woman's soul. He goes right to the heart of her soul. In verses 16 through 19, Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband, and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir... I perceive that you are a prophet. After offering her the living water, Jesus makes a statement that in essence causes her to freeze, makes her very uncomfortable. Jesus says, go call your husband. And she says, in a very short brief statement, actually in the Greek it's only three words, She goes, I have no husband. She didn't want to go there. Didn't want to talk about it. I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right. In saying, I have no husband for you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. This woman had a difficult past. She had been married five times and she was now living with a guy that wasn't her husband. Now as we look back, this is over 2,000 years ago. Even today, even by today's standards, this woman would stand out. She would. Even today she would. She had been married five different times and she was now living with a guy who wasn't her husband. And imagine the shock that she experiences. Here is this perfect stranger. And he tells her everything about her past. He knew all about her. Can you imagine being somewhere, talking to a perfect stranger, and this stranger knows everything about you, even everything about your shameful past, everything in your past that is shameful, shameful. And so the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. The word prophet here is really interesting. It means one who can read secrets of the heart. It means a seer of secrets. I perceive that you are a prophet. You are a special messenger of God. So, she is put in this very awkward, uncomfortable position. But I want you to see a number of things here. First of all, I want you to remember that Jesus has sent the disciples into the city to buy food. And I shared with you last week, Jesus set up this conversation so that he and her are alone. And I think that's important. Jesus doesn't shame her or embarrass her in front of other people. That's a good lesson for us. Jesus doesn't shame her or embarrass her in front of other people. He wants her one-on-one to recognize and acknowledge her own sin. That's what he wants. He wants her to see the depths of her own sin. Why? Because he wants her to see her thirst and to drink of the living water. That's what he's trying to do. I want you to see the depth of your thirst and I want you to drink of the living water. I want to ask you a question this morning. A very important question for every single one of us. Do you see yourself in this woman? Do you see yourself in this woman? If you don't, you're missing the whole point. You're missing the whole point because Jesus knows everything about you. He knows all about those lustful thoughts that you've had, those angry thoughts, those jealous thoughts. He knows those people that you've hated, those people that you've despised, those people who have hurt you. He knows when you've wanted revenge, when you've wanted to pay someone back for what they did to you. He knows everything. Everything about you. And maybe you haven't had sexual partners like this woman did. She was obviously seeking something in man after man after man. But maybe it's been something different for you. Maybe you've gone through many friends or jobs. Or churches, or hobbies, or hairstyles, or wardrobes, or cars, or different locations. Maybe it's something else that you've been searching and searching to try to find something to satisfy your soul. But what I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to see this morning is you need the living water just as much as she did. I need the living water just as much as she did. So our first point is sin revealed. Our second point is Messiah revealed. In a classic timeless example, the woman from Samaria tries to divert Jesus' attention away from her sin and on to a controversy. Have you ever tried to share Christ with someone and they've led you on a rabbit trail? They've been on some tangent. You're trying to explain the love of Christ, how he died for them, how they need to receive him as Savior, and they bring up some controversy. But isn't the Bible full of contradictions? Isn't the Bible really just written by men, just like any other piece of literature? What about those people who have never heard about Jesus? What about them? How do we know that Christianity is the only way? Are you saying to me that all those ways are, all other religions are false and Christianity is the only way? Aren't there many ways to heaven? What about gay rights? What does the Bible say about gay rights? If you've ever had a conversation like that, if you've ever tried to have someone divert the conversation in a different direction as you try to share the gospel, boy, you're not alone. It's been going on for over 2,000 years. And this woman is a classic example of this. In verse 20, instead of dealing with what Jesus has just said to her, she says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Okay, you Jews say that you're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. We say that you're supposed to worship on this mountain in Mount Gerizim. Who's right? So she tries to take him off track but i want you to notice very closely and it's very instructive for us what jesus does jesus doesn't ignore her question but instead uses her question to to reveal the truth about himself i think that is so helpful he doesn't ignore her question but he uses her question to reveal the truth about himself to take her deeper And maybe she thought she could ever go. In verses 21 and 22, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. Believe me, a time is coming. A time is coming when it won't matter whether you worship in Jerusalem or whether you worship on this mountain. But I do want you to know this. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. But we Jews worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. This is a gentle rebuke to her. I want you to know that even though The particular place is not what's going to be important. I do want you to know that salvation is from the Jews. It is from the Jewish people that we learn that a Savior is coming. Someone who is going to bring salvation, the message of salvation to the world. It is through the Jews we learn about the son of David. It is through the Jews that we learn about the Messiah. It is through the Jews that we learn about the suffering servant. But then he takes her even deeper. He says in verses 23 and 24, but the hour is coming, notice, and is now here. Something is changing. An important hour is here right now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. A new hour is here. Something is upon us, ma'am. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth because God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Oh, these two verses, verses 23 and 24, have been the subject of so many sermons. And rightly so, it is interesting. What does it mean to worship in spirit and truth? And when you study this in the context of the whole Gospel of John, it takes on even greater meaning than just doing like one message on it or one teaching on it because you begin to see that Jesus is not just answering her question. He is taking, he is drawing her to himself. What does it mean to worship in spirit and truth? There are two major viewpoints on this and I think they both have great merit, and kind of cross each other. Some say that to worship in spirit and in truth means that you worship in the power of the Holy Spirit with a sincere heart, a genuine heart. But you always worship in accordance with the truth of the Word of God, with the truth of the Bible. So we worship in the power of the Holy Spirit, in great sincerity and genuineness of heart, but we always do what we can't worship any way we want. We worship always in complete alliance with, in complete conjunction with the teachings of Scripture. That's one view. The other view, and the view that I think is closest to the context here, to worship in spirit and truth, means... That you are reborn of the Holy Spirit and you come to God through the truth. Jesus himself who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So, you are reborn. You have received the salvation of God. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and your spirit has come alive. You are worshiping as a new creature in Christ. And you come to God always in the truth, through the truth, who is Jesus Christ himself. So you see, he wants her to see who he is. Here's the thought. It's not where you worship, but whom you worship. And how you worship. It's not where you worship. It's whom you worship. And how you worship. A new day's coming. Jerusalem won't be the only place you worship. This had to be a big surprise to her. The Jews are no longer saying it's one place. But it's who. And how. This isn't new to us. We have already seen this and already learned this in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 2, if you recall, if you were with us, if you listen to that message, Jesus cleanses the temple in John chapter 2. And the Jews come to him, and they're furious with him. And they say, what sign do you give to do this? What authority do you do, do this? What gives you the right to cleanse our temple? And in John chapter 2 and verse 19, Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews say to him, It took 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days? And then the Bible says this, But he was speaking about the temple of his body. If you remember, I shared with you, Jesus is saying to the Jews, It's no longer about a particular place. The temple in Jerusalem, Herod's temple at that time, would eventually be destroyed. Jesus is saying, I'm the temple now. I am the temple now. You will, excuse me, Jesus is now the focus and foundation of all our worship. It's not a particular place. When we come to worship, and our brothers and sisters in Christ and every people group around the world worship. They come in. They come as, to worship Jesus as the central focus and foundation of all their worship. Because that's what Christians now do. And that's exactly what he is saying to the woman at the well. But again, I want you to notice, he wants her to see it's all about him and about the water that he is offering. So, in a dramatic moment, Jesus reveals to this woman that he is the long awaited Messiah. In verse 25, the woman said to him, Jesus says all this to her, and she says to him, Well, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. She knew enough as a Samaritan woman that the Jews believed in a Messiah. And to some degree, so did the Samaritans. And they knew that when the Messiah came, he would be the greatest of all. Messiah, and John inserts, called the Christ, because Christ means Messiah. She says, I do know this. So she says to Jesus with some sense of excitement, Yeah, you tell me all this, but I know when Messiah comes. He will tell us everything. And then in a dramatic moment, more dramatic than I think we realize, verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Wow. He is saying to this woman, you're talking to the Messiah. Can you imagine that? Having a conversation with a complete stranger and he says to you, I just want you to know I'm the Messiah. I am the one that you have been waiting for. I am the one who has come to tell you all things. As we kind of bring this together this morning, I want you to see he, Jesus, wants her, this woman, this Samaritan woman, to drink of the living water. He wants her to drink of the water Of which you will never be thirsty again. But he is not just saying this to the Samaritan woman. He is saying this to all of us. And Jesus has been saying this through the Spirit. Through the Word of God for centuries now. He's been inviting people to drink of the living water at the very end of the book of Revelation. The very end of the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 22, in verses 16 and 17, we read, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one, notice this, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires Take the water of life without price. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. It's not going to be on the screen, but in Revelation chapter 21, as Jesus describes the new heaven and the new earth, he says this, he says to him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. That's what he says and has been saying for centuries. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. Let me ask you this morning, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? Come to Jesus and drink fully and freely of the living water. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that though our sins are great, though our sins bring us shame and embarrassment, through Jesus, through drinking the living water, they can be forgiven. They can be cleansed. And we can come and we can become new men and women in Christ. Oh, Lord, help us to drink fully and freely of Jesus' living water. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.